Praise the Lord. There's a beautiful presence of the Lord here this morning. Amen. If you got your Bibles, why don't you grab them? We're going to go to the book of Job this morning. Job chapter 9, and I want to read from verse 32, so why don't we find our way there? It's good to see everyone that's here this morning, amen. It's good to have our friends, the Clarks, over from the U.S. to visit with us, amen, and make sure we make them feel welcome while they're here. It's good to have Glenda and Josh back with us again this week as well. We don't like to call out people who's their very first time to come, but second time, we're just really grateful that you're here, so... Praise the Lord, and there's, there's some other people here as well who's, who have come for the first time today, and we're really grateful that you're here. Um, in our church, we're very simple. We want to reach our world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We want to make disciples. We want to create a community where people can belong, amen, because humanity needs to belong. We've got to have a cause that we're for, amen, and that's what we're wanting to create here. So if you're here and it's your first time, we're glad you're here. We hope you feel welcome. Hope you feel loved. Amen. Job chapter 9, verse 32, it says, For he is not a man, as I am, that I should answer him, and we should come together in judgment. Neither is there any day's man between us that might lay his hand upon us both. I want to preach to you for a little while this morning on the daysman between us. Borrowing from Job's word there. The daysman between us. And it was the book of Job, not the gospel of John. <laughs> Those people looking at the screen there. The book of Job. He is not a man as I am, that I should answer him and we should come together. Neither is there any daysman between us that might lay his hand upon us both. God bless you. You may be seated this morning. In the presence of the Lord. Praise the Lord. The daysman between us. We've picked up Job's story not long after it started here in the text. The Bible says that Job was perfect and upright. This is in Job chapter 1. One that feared God and eschewed evil, or, or in other words, he was blameless and upright. Job feared God, and he shunned evil. And, and, and in that sentence in Job chapter 1 and verse 1, we, we get a clear picture of a man who is living a righteous life. Amen. He was doing everything he knew to do to maintain his righteousness before the Lord. He would get up early every morning, the Bible would tell us, and he would go and offer a sacrifice for each of his children in the off chance that perhaps one of them had said something foolish towards God or, or done something foolish towards God. He was living as righteous as he could. The Bible also tells us that he was not only a righteous man. The Bible tells us that he was a man of great wealth. He was a man of great substance. The Bible, in fact, goes so far to call him the greatest of all the men in the East. I don't know about you, but if people called me the greatest of all the men somewhere, it'd make you pretty special, amen? <laughs> the greatest 
of all the men in the east. And we know that one day the adversary came and appeared before the Lord and basically told God that the reason Job is so righteous is because he is paying you back for all the blessings that you have put into his life. And if you were to remove all those blessings, then Job would curse you. Job would turn his back on you. Job would not be faithful to you anymore. And so God said, well, okay, you take your liberty. You go do as you want to do. And we know that there was a a series of tests that were allowed by God, divinely appointed and allowed by God to occur, but administered by the adversary, by Satan. And Job had everything he had stripped away. The Sabines came, the Bible tells us, and took all of his cattle and all of his donkeys. And they killed all of his servants except for one who came to tell Job the bad news. The Bible says that scarcely as the words had left the mouth of the first servant, the second servant came and and told him that fire from heaven had fallen and consumed all of Job's sheep. Not only were all of Job's sheep consumed, but all of the servants as well were destroyed, except for the one who had come to bring the bad news to Job. And the Bible goes on and says, As he was yet speaking, another servant came and said, Chaldeans came down in three bands and took all of your camels, Job, and they killed all the servants that were looking after them. And I, I alone am escaped to tell you. And if all of that was not enough, if all of the loss of his wealth, his substance, everything that held his security, and it's funny that we're talking about this after talking about greed this morning, but everything that he had built up and worked for and, and his life that he had lived for God, it seemed to be taken away and yet another servant came. And perhaps this was the worst news of all when he informed Job that while his children were all in one house together, a wind came out and blew upon the corners of the house and the house collapsed and all of his children were dead. We know that later on as the attacks began to expand, the Bible says that Job's body was was covered with boils from head to toe. Satan was bringing everything against this man that he could except for taking his life. It was the one thing that God would not allow. And as Job begins to feel sorry for himself, and can you blame him this morning? Can you blame him after everything that happened to him? He's beginning to question why has this happened to me? He begins to question that why did God bother blessing me? Why did God allow me to get all of this only to seemingly take it away from me? What was the point of being blessed? What was the point of having this this touch from God upon my life where I was prospered and things were going well and I was living for God? and, and, And why would He now take it away from me? Job even begins to go so far. His mind is so distraught and his grief is so strong that the Bible tells us that he begins to even question his life. Why was I even born? Curse the day that my mother said a man-child was born. I wish I wasn't even around anymore. Oh, that God would just take my life from me. He was struggling. 
in a major way. And as he mourns and as he questions and as he tries to understand why things have happened like this in the text that we read, Job acknowledges that while he wishes there was a way, there was no way that he could sit down one-on-one with God and say, God, please, would you explain to me what your purpose is? Please, would you explain to me what your plan is, what you're wanting to do? He's saying, for God is not a man as I am, that I should answer him and that we should come together in judgment. Job is saying, I can't approach God. I can't plead my case with him. God is not going to sit down and explain to me why all of this has happened to me. He's saying that I feel so far from God. I feel so distant from God and I don't understand what he is doing. And I don't understand what he is thinking. And I don't understand why this is happening to me. And when Job cries out, he says, Neither is there any days man betwixt us or between us that might lay his hand upon me. He's saying, I wish I had an advocate. I wish I had a mediator. I wish I had somebody who could stand between God and stand between me and help God see things from my point of view and help me see things from God's point of view. But there is nobody to fulfill that gap that I am experiencing In my life right now. And when we fast forward now to 2019 and the back half of the year, there has been times in your life. And there has been times in my life where I and where you have felt distant from God. We have often felt like life is literally coming apart at the seams. Where things just seem to be going wrong and and we have faced times of trial. And we have faced times of sickness. And we have faced times of persecution from the enemy. And we have faced times of hardship. And, and, And so often as is the case when we're living for God, they are inflicted upon us and we don't understand why. We can't figure out why God has allowed something to happen in our life. Why is this? Is there a purpose to this, God? What is the road ahead? Where is this taking me, Lord? Are you wanting to teach me something? Is there some area of my life I need to grow in? We cannot see the road ahead. And then, of course, the other side of, of that coin is that many times the distance that we feel from God and the coldness we feel in our heart are self-inflicted. We have removed ourselves from God's blessing in our life by allowing sin into our hearts. And make no mistake, every single one of us here are not perfect. Every single one of us has failed God. Every single, from, from the oldest person to the youngest person, from the pastor to the smallest person, every single one of us have failed God at some stage in our life. And and we come into God's presence and we see people responding to the move of the Spirit and and we just feel cold inside. We don't feel 
the presence of the Lord. It's like the windows of our heart have been shuttered and the blinds are closed and, and the lights seem to be out and everything is cold and dark. And, and we know that we should be feeling something. We know we should be experiencing something of God's presence. But it's self-inflicted. And we've removed ourselves from that presence. And so often I have, I have observed it in my own life and I have observed it in the life of people who I have the privilege of pastoring that we, we struggle sometimes to find our way back into that. We, just, we seem to have insurmountable obstacles in front of us and things that are holding us back and, and we struggle to find. And, 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 and so often I've prayed, God, I wish there was somebody who could stand between me and a holy God, an advocate for my heart. Someone who would fight for my cause. To stand up and defend me. To tell God that I'm worth it. And then I remember that once upon a time there was a cross. I remember that Romans chapter 5 and verse 8 says that God commendeth His love towards us. And that while I was yet a sinner, Christ died for us. I remember the Bible tells in John chapter 1 and verse 14 that the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. I remember that Jesus, the mighty God that was prophesied of in Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6, stepped out of eternity into my time and into my space, robed in flesh, righteous, holy, Without sin, the man, Christ Jesus, put his hands up and said, I will be the daysman that my creation needs. I will be the advocate that stands between a holy God and a sinful and a struggling world. Paul says it so well like this in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 5. He says, there is one God and one mediator between God and man. The man, Christ Jesus. Because while Job had nobody to plead his case, Job had no one to stand before a holy God and say, don't do this God. He's not worth that. He was worth more than this. Fast forward now into the age of the new covenant and Jesus Christ is there. And when I have made mistakes and I have walked out on God and I have let Him down, here's Jesus saying, "Ah, my blood was enough to cover the sins. My blood was enough to make you clean. My blood is enough to pay the price. My sacrifice was enough to satisfy the call of judgment from a holy God. Someone ought to just worship the Lord right now. Oh, thank you, Lord. Praise you, Jesus. And so then as I started to think about this, I thought, well, what actually makes a good mediator? What actually makes a good advocate? What actually makes a good daysman? The first thing that I figured out is they have to understand your side of the story. Can I tell you today, every man, woman, boy, girl, child, God understands your story. Nobody understands your story like Jesus Christ does. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15 says, For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of infirmities, 
but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. Can I tell someone today, Jesus knows what it's like to feel heartbreak. Jesus knows what it's like to feel rejection. Jesus knows what it's like to feel hurt. Jesus even knows, get this, Jesus even knows what it's like to feel far from God. As He was on a cross for you and for me, He cried out and said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Don't you sit there and tell me Jesus doesn't know how you feel. He knows your story. He understands the human condition. He understands my weakness. He understands my hang-ups. He understands my problems because He was tempted at all points like as you and I are. And not only does He understand, but He has seen all of your life from the moment you drew your first breath to the moment you breathe your last. He sees it all from span to span. He has watched the path you have walked. He knows what you have been through. He knows what's on your mind and He holds your life in His hand. Can I tell somebody today, Jesus understands you. Why don't we just worship the Lord right now? Not only does a good mediator have to understand your side of the story, but they have to be willing to represent you. You know, there's, there's lawyers whose job it is to represent criminals who have created some wrong or done something wrong against the Lord. And there are going to be lawyers out there who would look at some cases and go, you know what, I'm not going to take that. There's not enough money in it for me or I don't stand any chance of winning. You just use the state-appointed attorney. Can I tell you this morning, we have a mediator that is willing and able to represent us. Jesus is more than willing to represent us. 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 6 tells us that He gave Himself a ransom for all. Amen. Not just you. Not just me. Not just those of us who feel like we're doing pretty good in life. Not those of us that are just so far down and out we feel like nobody could ever represent us. But Jesus gave His life a ransom for all. Hallelujah. Hebrews chapter 10. Look at this. In case you didn't get it already. Look at this. Hebrews chapter, chapter 10. Reading from verse 8. Above when he said, Sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offerings for sin thou wouldest not. Neither had his pleasure therein which are offered by the Lord. The writer of Hebrews here is talking about how under the old covenant in the tabernacle plan every year, once a year on the day of atonement, the high priest would walk into the holy of holies with the blood of an atonement lamb and sprinkle that upon the altar and, and, and all it would ever do is roll the sins of the nation of Israel on for another 12 months. And for year after year after year after year after year after decade after decade after decade, animals were killed to atone for the sins of the nation of Israel. And the writer here is saying, God is just 
fed up with that. He's fed up of a relationship with his people that just keeps getting postponed. Just keeps getting postponed. Just keeps getting postponed. It says in verse 9, Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first. He takes away the old covenant that he may establish the second. By the which will, this is the second covenant, we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily ministering and often offering the same sacrifices, which can never take away sin. But this man, speaking about Jesus, this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God from henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. For by one offering he has perfected for every them that are sanctified. Forever them that are sanctified. Why can I tell you that Jesus is willing to represent you? Because the price it takes to hire him as your defense attorney has already been paid in full on a cross at Calvary 2,000 years ago. Amen. He is willing to represent you. He has already paid the price. It doesn't matter how far I go away from God, how much I have failed God, how much I've walked out on God. My Bible tells me that his sacrifice is enough to cover my sin. I'm not saying we don't need to repent. I'm not saying we don't need to change our life and change our direction. We do. But there is a way open for us. And the door is always open. He is willing to represent you. Jesus has paid the price once and for all for you and for me. Why don't we just worship the Lord for a second one more time? Jesus, I worship you, God. I worship you, God. I worship you, God. And so what is our response to this? What is our response to this? Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 16, I think, sums it up so well. When it says, Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy. That's what this world needs, church. It needs mercy. I need mercy. Come before the throne of grace boldly to obtain mercy and to find grace to help in the time of need. So this morning, if we believe that Jesus has truly paid the price for us, and He did, and if we believe that Jesus truly understands what we are going through, and He does, what stops us from coming to Him and saying, Jesus, can you help me, Lord? I'll tell you, there's nothing. There is no barrier that God has put in front of you. There is no roadblock that you cannot get over. There is no door that will not be opened for you. Our response needs to simply be, Jesus, I need you, Lord. I need you, Lord. And so this morning, as we all stand.
Maybe you're going through something in life that you just don't understand. And like Job, you're in a season of questioning God. We've all been there. Trying to find the answers and, and you, you don't know which way to turn. Maybe this morning you felt like you'd been doing all you'd know to live for God. And you're just wondering what the next step is. How do I find my way out of this, Lord? Can I encourage you this morning to turn to Jesus? I'm not saying everything's going to work out all right. I'm not saying that, that the moment you come up to the front and pray that miraculously every situation will change. Nah, it doesn't always happen like that. But can I tell you, if you come to Jesus, you can have a little heart to heart with Him. He knows what's going on in your life. He knows where your head's at. He knows what's happening. Can I tell you that you get peace? The Bible says that He gives us peace that passes understanding. The number of times in my life where I haven't known what to do and my life has been chaos around me and I've gone to my knees in prayer and I felt such peace in my heart to know that Jesus understands, to know that Jesus cares, to know that Jesus is even listening to me when sometimes I feel like no one's listening to me. That is peace that passes understanding. That's peace when it doesn't make sense to have peace. That's peace when you really shouldn't have peace, but you got peace anyway. Because we know Jesus. Maybe you don't know what God's plan is for your life. You don't know your purpose. You don't know why these things are happening. But if you can trust your life to Jesus this morning, He's your daysman. He's your advocate. He's your mediator. He understands you. And maybe today, you're on the opposite side of that coin. You used to live for God, and now you're far from God. You feel cold. You feel empty. You don't feel the presence of God like you used to. Maybe it's been many months since, since God has touched your heart. Maybe you've, you've never really felt the Spirit of God move on your heart. Maybe it's been too long since you felt those tears of repentance and those tears of, a great, of grace to be in God's presence. Maybe it's been a while since they've come down your face and you've allowed God to work in your heart. I want to encourage you this morning. You're still not too far from God. You're still not too lost yet. You haven't gone too far away from God yet. Why? Because we have a daysman. We have an advocate. We have a mediator who says, you know what, God, I know that you're holy, but Jesus, the man, has paid the price. And we can come before a holy God. You have a hope this morning. You have a purpose. You have a daysman this morning between you. You have Jesus Christ and He's calling you this morning. You can still come back. The door is not shut yet. The way isn't blocked yet. So this morning, I don't, I don't know if that's spoken to you this morning. But 
I know I can feel that God is pulling on some people's hearts. If you want to come down the front here and talk to God, maybe you're just feeling a, a distance from God. Maybe you're going through something in life right now. But can I promise you that if you come to God, He's going to meet with you. He's going to talk to you. There's nothing embarrassing about the altar. It's just where we come to talk to the Lord this morning. So as Sister Janie sings, these altars are open. You can come. You can pray where you are. But let's just begin to talk to the Lord right now.